Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, pretty much anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the program, you can always give me a call on the listener hotline. With the number 303-832-0217, you can always contact me on any of the contact links uh, attached to this show that are right there in the description of the show, on the Twitter, on the Facebook, on the email, however you want to do it, or give me a call uh, and leave a message at uh, 303-832-0217. Well, I'm back from my... Uh, I, I can't say whirlwind tour of the uh, great uh, state of Florida, but it was an interesting time uh, down at the United States Twirling Association's presentation of their National Baton Twirling Championships in uh, not-so-lovely-now Daytona Beach, Florida. I hadn't been to Daytona Beach in a long time uh, since... Uh, what, high school, uh, spring break, college spring break. I uh, went down there a couple of times. And uh, I remember Daytona being, you know, just Daytona. You drive on the beach, you hang out in the water, and uh, the hotels were, you know, mildly gross. And, uh, there were, you know, there were bars and restaurants and whatever. And, and it, I guess it, I, I guess I didn't really think about the atmosphere too much in Daytona. Um, but it was, it, it was uh, a lot more, uh, I, I thought, good. <laughs> it is now because Daytona Beach has not really changed, it seems like, and only gone downhill in the last 30 years. It is, uh, it, it, I think it has great potential, but there were buildings that were empty. There were some that were started like a tower on the beach. Well, the construction had started and then it just stopped. Uh, there was another one that looked like it was starting to be refurbished and then that stopped. Uh, no construction work at all. There, there are, are a lot of um, uh, buildings. There was one that said it was condemned, and they were starting to scrape the tile roofs off of the building. And I don't know if they were going to take the whole thing down, but obviously there have been some uh, down times in the Daytona Beach general area, and they are in need of some investment down there. And it's it's strange because in, in Orlando and Tampa and Fort Myers and Jacksonville, it seems like in other places, it's really booming in other parts of Florida, down in southeast Florida, down in the Miami, for, uh, Fort uh, Lauderdale area. But apparently right there in uh, Daytona, they are not seeing the kind of growth that other places in Florida is. Well, anyway, we were down there. Um, and <laughs> so Southwest Airlines, uh, by the way, the airplanes are not really. You, you know what? You'll see the 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 campaigns from uh, uh, corporations about how they well they clean their airplanes. Those airplanes were not clean, and they were full, and the airports were full, and people are everywhere, and they just don't care about wearing masks anymore, and they really hate it when they have to go into the airport and on the airplane, and it, it was. It was interesting to watch what what was happening, uh, but yeah, the the airplanes are were well, at least the ones I, I I were on were not so clean. We uh, were flying Southwest actually on the way to the airport. I get a text message that my flight is canceled, my nine a.m. flight is canceled, and that they uh, and then about I don't know three or four minutes later, I get another text message saying they rebooked me on a flight. It was going to be a direct flight to Orlando from Denver, and they rebooked me to go down to uh, St. Louis. Denver to St. Louis and the St. Louis to Orlando, arriving there 
at 11 or 1030 at night. I was originally supposed to land at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I have two eh, relatively young children, 9 and 12, and they're and they're great. They're, they could stay up fairly late, but it's still a pretty late arrival at 1030 at night uh, in Florida. And then you have another hour or so to drive up to Daytona before you get to the room, get to the room at midnight, so they'd be pretty wiped out. Uh, so I, that's why we picked the earlier flight time. Anyway... It was a little frustrating to try to get through to Southwest because I was trying to figure out if there was another flight I could I, I could get rebooked on. But as I was looking at their website and trying to go online and trying to do their, their app, uh, every flight then that they had, I don't know, a dozen or so flights, all of a sudden they were all unavailable. Nothing is available at all. And since they were all unavailable, I thought, well, but, but what, am, what are we going to do now? So I started looking maybe at a, a closer airport like Jacksonville. And so I did see that they had a flight going to Jacksonville, gets there, it was a direct flight from Denver to Jacksonville, got there at 6 o'clock in the evening, I thought, hey, this is pretty good, all I have to do is change my rental car from Orlando to Jacksonville and see if I can figure that out. And so I, I called uh, Southwest, the whole time was 63 minutes, uh, so I, I waited, uh, and I waited and I talked to somebody, and they said, uh, no, you cannot take that flight, because we're going to have to charge you $1,800 <laughs> That's on top of the fare I already paid uh, for my flight to Orlando to change to go to Jacksonville. Well, that was not going to be an option for me. So what was I to do? Just 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 take it and say, all right, we're gonna we're gonna leave here at three o'clock or whatever they're gonna put me on and go to St. Louis and then from St. Louis to Orlando. Well, I thought this. Maybe I'll have better luck if we go to the airport. And if we can't figure this out when I get to the airport, at least we can sit in one of those airport lounges and at least uh, as pass the time in comfort through there. So we show up at the airport at about, what, 11 o'clock or so? And this this uh, flight that goes to Jacksonville was going to leave at about 10 or 12.45. So it was, a, it was a, at least an hour and a half before that flight. So it wasn't like a last-minute thing. So we, we were checking in, and I was talking to the uh, the lady there at the check-in, and I said, "Hey, is there any way we can just get on this other flight? Because, uh, well, we, we you know we I would just really like to be on that other flight." And she said, "Yeah, no problem. Here we go. Boom, boom, boom. Hit some buttons. Hit some keys. Change it around, and off we're gone. And it was it was so nice." And, and she just routed us right to Jacksonville. So in the meantime, I'm on the uh, deal with the, with the rental car thing, and I just had to change the rental car from uh, picking it up in Orlando to picking it up in Jacksonville and then dropping it off in Orlando the next couple of days. And by the way, when I did that, I, I didn't realize that it changed from unlimited miles to I had to pay 29 cents per mile. So that was an interesting extra charge. I didn't expect it to be... And I only drove 300 miles, so it really wasn't that huge of an extra charge, but it, it was still a little bit alarming when I say, why is this extra charge on here? Oh, they're charging me for miles. Gotcha. I didn't know they still did that. Anyway, so we're, uh, we go to Jacksonville, and it was just all great. Jacksonville's a small little airport, just fine. Gets the rental car. Boom. Off we go. Uh, <laughs> hot and humid. Uh, and then make the hour and a half drive down to, uh, well, first we had to stop at Waffle House, of course, because we were all hungry. And why don't you stop at a Waffle House when you're in Florida? I mean, it's great. You get the scattered, covered, chopped, chunk, topped, eggs piggybacked on top of your hash browns. It's delicious. 
and it's a hearty meal at any time of day. <laughs> anyway, it was uh, fine being there in Orlando, and it was just, you know, an interesting uh, experience with the whole baton thing. Uh, and uh, being there <laughs> in Daytona Beach. By the way, have you noticed that most, if not all, rental cars have some twinge of smoke smell in them, some much worse than others? The one that we picked out was actually okay, even with 30-something thousand miles on it. I was surprised. It was a car with uh, Nevada license plates on it. So coming from Nevada, probably Las Vegas, driven all the way to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I wonder how it got, <laughs> what the path was for it to get there, but the rental car was just fine. It was a uh, Chevy Malibu, I think, a nice black one. It was uh, it was fine. Um, but uh, I tell you, didn't I, it did surprise me that I had to pay the extra extra cents per mile um, there in Florida. Then, oh, then of course after the whole baton thing, took uh, took a little day to go to uh, Disney World with the girls, and that was Disney World. I'm telling you, it, it's fine. I I know the kids love it, and there are people that love it. They you could tell because they all have their shirts specially made for that one day. And they're all wearing it with, with their different names or funny names or their favorite character or whatever. And they're all having to wear it. And they wear the, the ears, the Mickey ears, and, and they all dress up in their, their favorite whatever. Uh, and I, I know the kids love it, but basically it's any amusement park in the United States that's dressed up as Disney characters. I mean, that's what it is at its core. And you're waiting for a half an hour or 40 or 60 minutes for a ride. And so you get to ride maybe eight rides the day, uh, as you're doing most of your, uh, time spending most of your time there waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And there was no, uh, no, uh, cleaning going on in Disney. Uh, actually, you know what? <laughs> Here's the story. Um, it was actually one of the dirtiest experiences at Disney World I've ever been to. And in fact, here's a story for you. When I was, uh, uh, so after one of the big baton, the last baton night, it didn't end till like eight o'clock at night. Um, uh, th- then we go over to, to this restaurant uh, right there by the pier in, in Daytona. And the, and the guy actually said, the, the, the manager said, look, we, we don't really have any more room for, for anybody else, honestly. We had a couple spots uh, up by the bar, but you have some kids, so you can't sit up there. Um, but we just don't have enough people to e- e- cook the food and to serve the food. And we just don't have the, the, the staff to actually have any more people in here than the people that we have in here right now. And he seemed genuinely frustrated, upset that he had to turn us away because they didn't have the staff that he that that he needed to take care of people wanted to that wanted to come in there and eat, and and I think that's I think it's only going to get worse. Um, but I've seen a lot of that. We went to a, another place that that was similar. Anyway, we're I'm kind of way off topic here uh, with the whole uh, transportation thing. But I, but maybe you're seeing the same thing as as what what I experienced. And then at Disney, it was it was one of the dirtiest experiences that we've been to in a long time. It just, it, it was dirty. So, and, and then, so we go into the parking lot cause they have these huge parking lots, right? And usually they have this, uh, little open aired tram thing that, uh, that, that will go through the parking lot and pick people up and take you over to the front gates. That was not the case. They did not have a tram. Now the walk was about five minutes going from where we parked over to the front entrance. And then from there you have to take either the boat or the monorail over to the Magic Kingdom. 
Okay, fine. And there's a lot of walking involved. And you know what? This uh, all right. Let me let me tell you this first part. <laughs> I have these different things going through my mind. So at the end of the night, when we uh, so we saw watched the fireworks. Ra- Road uh, thought all right. Right after the fireworks was was done, uh, my oldest daughter wanted to go ride the uh, uh, Space Mountain. So we hightailed it over to Space Mountain. It was going to be the last thing because fireworks got uh, got done at about nine forty five. The park's supposed to close at ten. Boom, we're in Space Mountain. Ride it, and then we were going to go. So we're leaving at about 10.15 or so, 10.20, walking out of the gates, and we get into the line for the monorail. Well, the the line for the monorail was actually not moving very fast, as as all the people were there lined up to go into the monorail. And there was one monorail that was going uh, away from the parking lots, because, you know, it it just goes over, uh, it does a big loop, right? Uh, And there was another one that, uh, that had just left the station with nobody on it. So I thought, all right, there's something odd going on here. And then I see the security people turning the people around who are waiting up by the uh, platform at the monorail. So they start walking down the ramp. And I thought, all right, this is not a good idea. So I told my wife and kids, I said, Let, come on, let's jump out of this line. And then let's see if we can maybe get into the line for the boat. So we go over to the line for the boat, which is also really long because they, they don't have a lot of boats to get back over to the parking lot. And then I hear, and I know this is going to be a tough deal. And then I hear one of the security guys saying, nope, we're going to need to get up, get these people on buses. We need more buses. And I thought, boom, that's what we're going to do. Jump out of that line, hightail it, which is another long walk. And my daughters are extremely tired at this point because it's late at night. We've It's been like 100 degrees. <laughs> well, it was like 90 something degrees with uh, with a thousand percent humidity. So it's just pouring off you. You just get that heat exhaustion, right? So we hightail it to the bus. And of course, it's the last bus in the last stall of their line of buses. Um, and to drive you the three or four minutes it took over to the area where they uh, where, where you go to the parking area. And then we had to walk another five minutes back to the car. And I was thinking... Remember 50 years ago, I think that they're having their 50-year anniversary, right? That, 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 that Disney was all about the future and transportation of the future with the monorail. I mean, it has only one rail, so it must be better. It's the monorail, and it gets everybody so quickly above the sky, and it was just great, and it goes right through a hotel at the Contemporary, and... Uh, it, it is just, we are all about future and getting people from here to there. You know what they have 50 years later to get you from the parking lot over to the magic kingdom. They have the same monorail. They have some boats and they have a bus. How is that the transportation of the future? Maybe try something else. How about some gondolas? Let's try some gondolas. Maybe. Um, I don't know anything else let's try up some new ideas, Disney, because right now you have the boats, which, and that, that's was my thinking. They're not going to have the obvious with the monorail, not working. You have two options, bus and boats. They don't have a lot of boats. They can't put more boats in the water and get people across the lake. So they're going to bring in more buses. And I figured that's going to be our best option. Uh, to get back to the parking lot, and so that's what we did. Because they don't have a gondola, they don't have a uh, the people mover thing. Actually, that people people mover ride over there in the uh, whatever Tomorrowland was actually pretty neat. Um, but it's again was old and tired, and uh, it, it's not the future. It's so funny you see these uh, 
you know, dia- what I don't know what, what dioramas of uh, what the future was supposed to be like 50 years ago and what it is now. It's not. It's the same. That's the problem with the uh, transportation. People. It's biological. You got to go from here to there. How are you going to get from here to there? You got to get there in a, in a vehicle of some sort, right? And, and we have gravity. So you have to go uh, uh, in a car or a bus or a boat or a monorail or a gondola. We don't have flying cars. We're not going to, there was this flying car that was being tested. Sure. But are we really going to have flying cars? Are you going to want that person that you're driving next to right now on the highway driving, flying a car? Seriously? You want that person who can't get off their phone for five seconds to fly next to you in the sky in their car? That is not a good option. So we we are still stuck where we're still stuck with. So anyway, that, that and then we flew back. Uh, the actually the flight. Oh, here we go. So the flight back to uh, Denver from Orlando was quite interesting because we get to the gate. And, uh, and the, and the gate agent, uh, person, she was saying that the flight crew, they were waiting for the flight crew. So we were going to be delayed by a little bit because they were coming off of one plane. They're going to get on our plane and then we're all flying to Denver. Okay, fine. So that, that, that's fine. So it was about 15 minutes. You see the flight crew and they look a little agitated and, and they get on and and then we're starting to get on. And, uh, and so I'm coming on onto the airplane and, and because it's Southwest, you don't have assigned seats. You just pick the row and you pick the seats you want to sit in, right? So I have myself and, and my two daughters and my wife behind me. And, and right behind the row, right behind the exit row, one of the flight attendants is standing right there. And there were three seats there. And, and we like to have the three seats. So my wife are with my two daughters and then I'm in the seat on the other side of the row from them. So all basically four together with the, with the aisle separating us. So I, I asked that woman... Uh, hey, could could we sit here? And she looks at me with a stern look, like I'm not like like I'm asking her to uh, please open the side window uh, or the the window door so I can just exit the airplane right now. She looks at me and says, "No, I can't do that. I have to stand here." I said, "Okay." And I said, uh, and she goes, I-, "I have to watch the exit row seats." I said, "Okay. Um, all right." And then she's just staring at me. <laughs> I'm not going to fight with her because I I know from doing not only this show but but hearing other stories that that it's a best idea is just to keep on going. Just keep just just let it be. Don't argue with them. Just keep on going. So I did. I, I we found it was another eight rows or so back. Found three and, and the fourth seat, and boom, we're sitting down. Well, a about maybe two minutes later, here comes this other guy who has the same idea as me and asks her, um, could we sit there in those three seats? And she goes, nope. Well, he was not as um, uh, well, kind about uh, his displeasure as I was. And he was telling her, what What are you talking about? Why can't you just move? And she says, no, I am watching these seats. And, she, and, the, and the, so they're having words. And he does not like what he's hearing. So he eventually because she's not going to move, and, and now they're butting heads. He walks back past me and a couple more rows back and then gets into a seat. Okay, fine. Well, she's not done with this guy. 
She is not. She she was over there stewing all about it. And she walked back a few minutes later and was talking to this guy. I have the uh, uh, authority from the captain to stand there and to watch those exit seats and to make sure that the right people are sitting there. And if you don't like it, would you like to leave? Would you like to be escorted off this aircraft? And she is just getting into this guy. And this guy goes, no. And, and he basically is backing down because he now knows uh, what the what the stakes are, and and he's just saying, look, I just thought I could have that row, and now I, I I'm I'm fine. It's okay. Just go away, ma'am, and and we'll everybody's good. And so she pretty much backed off. He backed off, and and it, <laughs> every time, but the flight crew was pretty upset. The flight crew was pretty on edge every time the fashion seatbelt light was on, would come on. She would get onto the uh, on onto the overhead speakers and say, "The fasten seatbelt light is on, people." That means you get in your seats. No exit. No getting up. No going to the restroom. You stay in your seats. That light is on. Oh, she she, she was a piece of work. Oh yeah, she was very very. Uh, you know, look, and everybody has a bad day. I get it. I'm sure they were overworked. I, I, and they, they came from one flight, they had to jump on this flight and maybe they weren't expecting it. Maybe it was an extra flight for them. Maybe is, I, I don't know, but they are the frontline staff to the customers. And when they show the customers that they're having a bad day, the customers that might want to fly Southwest might think, well, I don't know if I am feeling the love here and I might pick another airline next time because... Southwest is based on, you know, that love feeling. They have the heart logo as part of their uh, airline, as part of their brand. And, well, I did not feel the love, at least from that flight crew. So that, that, <laughs> that in a nutshell, uh, in a very long nutshell, apparently, was uh, my experience with going to Florida. So there you have it. But I really do think Disney needs to work on their transportation of the future because it is not transportation of the future anymore. Uh, a California Highway Patrol officer, speaking of the future, stopped the driver of a Toyota Prius that had a Starlink satellite dish fastened to the hood. Now, these Starlight, you know, those, those Starlight uh, discs, it's actually like a little satellite disc. Um, and it's one of those things that you use to, it was that star SpaceX broadband internet service, basically for rural areas. And apparently now for drivers on the move. Um, so the driver got a ticket for having a, a visual obstruction because it was sitting right there, smack dab in the middle of the car's hood. And an officer said to the driver, sir, I stopped you today for that visual obstruction on your hood. Does, does it not block your view while you're driving? And the driver replied, only when I make right turns. <laughs> well, that's, that was enough for the officer. Uh, the driver told the uh, officer there that they were using the antenna to have Wi-Fi for a business that they're running out of their car. <laughs> the uh, California Highway Patrol said, yes, in fact, it's illegal to mount a satellite dish to the hood of your car, citing a state law that bars other view obstructions like Anything hanging from your rearview mirror or a poorly positioned GPS mount. That, we've talked about uh, that law in most states prevents you from having an obstruction 
cracked windshield hanging something from the windshield, you know, the uh, rear view mirror. And that's a, that's a way, that's a quote unquote probable cause uh, for them to pull you over and uh, then, you know, do, do whatever else they, they might want to do. But that, that Starlink service, it's, um, it, 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 you have to buy, I think it's $500 because you get a bundle of stuff, including that it's about a pizza. Well, yeah, I guess about a pizza sized dish that you, uh, that you use to get the Wi-Fi, And then you have to, or you have a little router too. Um, and I think it's a hundred bucks a month to get that service, something like that. But, um, SpaceX, they don't really, <laughs> I don't think have, um, specialized car mounts that you're supposed to be using on moving vehicles because you could use it, I suppose, on your RV or, uh, or, or maybe, a like a houseboat, um, or let a shipping thing, a large truck, maybe the truckers could use it, something like that. Um, because I, you know, <laughs> I just don't think they're ready. Uh, they're supposed to be used for, uh, just a regular passenger vehicle. Uh, I was reading earlier today that the European union, just proposed an effective ban on the sale of new gasoline and diesel cars that'll start in 2035. So in about 14 years, you're not going to be able to buy a regular car with gasoline or diesel in European Union countries. And their goal is to obviously speed up that switch to zero emission electric vehicles. And one of the ways they think that they can boost sales of the electric vehicles is by proposing legislation that's going to require all their member countries to install public charging points, uh, these part charging stations, and have them no more than, they say, 60 kilometers, which is about 35 miles or so, apart on major roads by 2025. So they think in five years they could have the infrastructure in place, and then in 10 years after that, they're only going to be selling electric vehicles. But I want to know, where is all this electricity going to be coming from? If you're going to be replacing gasoline with electricity, you're going to have to produce more electricity. And I haven't seen anywhere that these countries are going to be adding electricity um, plants, you know, whether it's it's nuclear plants or uh, hydroelectric or or coal or whatever. I mean, right now, basically, you're, you're trading one fossil fuel, uh, crude oil, with another fossil fuel, coal because we're burning a lot of coal to produce electricity right now. So you're really just exchanging one for the other. Um, Some electricity is produced by nuclear and and wind and and solar, of course, but not enough. Um, But that estimate from the European Union, they think it might take maybe $100 to $150 billion to be spent on these public-private chargers throughout the EU, uh, in the next 20 years to be able to have enough charging stations. But again, they're not saying how much money they're going to need to, to spend to make some more uh, power plants. And, and last month, I think a lot of the automakers, Volkswagen, said they're going to stop selling cars with combustion engines in Europe by 2035 in the same time frame. So um, I don't think they're going to stop selling them here that soon, but I know Europe wants to get onto the electric vehicle thing a lot sooner. And, and it led me to, to think about what happens to all the folks that I, I don't think gasoline is going to go away overnight, but eventually another five or 10 or 15 years, let's say in 2045, 
how many gas stations are there going to be in Europe? And you're still going to have cars that are only 10 years old, and even some maybe younger than that, because you're still going to have the inventory of the uh, 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 gasoline or diesel cars. So how, if you drive your car for 15 or 20 years, are you going to be able to find gasoline for it? Or is it just going to kill off the entire gasoline industry altogether? I mean, you still have some mowers and you still have other things that need gasoline, but how hard is it going to find to find gasoline? You're not going to find it in every corner, maybe a couple of stations in a town, I suppose. But I think that's going to be an unintended consequence uh, of these uh, cars, everything going electric. One, how are we going to produce enough power for all these things? And two, what happens to all the gas stations and the gas infrastructure and the uh, all those, uh, not only jobs, but the yeah, the infrastructure of, of gasoline and, and all the cars that are still going to be running on gasoline over the next 40 or 50 years? Um, and then if you buy a classic car, what are you, <laughs> you going to get gasoline for your uh, 67 Chevy? If you have a classic car, that's it's not like you can go make it in your backyard, <laughs> or maybe you trans uh, figure out a way to, to run it on uh, ethyl alcohol or something. I don't know, uh, but that'll be something to watch. And and by the way, I, I was sent an email uh, while I was away from someone who says that they had this curious question uh, with a very frustrating situation in regards to getting her driver's license reinstated. So she went on and on about this story and that 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 talked about how she was having some issues with uh, the law, law enforcement getting tickets for her car, and that she received enough tickets and she didn't pay the fines, and so she lost her driver's license, and she hasn't been able to have it reinstated because she hasn't been able to pay the fines. They went to collections, and then, uh, so she's been dealing with a collection agency, and those people are, are a real piece of work, and uh, so then, then she says they're lying. To the collection agency, she'll pay them some money and is supposed to uh, send it to the DMV, the, the the paperwork that shows that she's caught up on her fines and that she could reinstate her license. Well, that that really hasn't happened anyway. Uh, there, th- th- she was mentioning also about this program about five years ago from the state of California, where they had a uh, program where I thought it was a pretty good idea um, that ha- helped a lot of people. She says it was called the amnesty program where those who qualified for it could get your driver's license reinstated for a reduced amount of money that they owed on their fines as a result of these uh, past due traffic issues. Uh, She says it wasn't a way for people to shirk the the consequences of their actions and that people still had to pay the fines. uh, And those fines would be, though, at a reduced rate. And, and and then adding a, a modest, she says, late fee, as opposed to someone who's already struggling to pay the exorbitant cost of living plus double or triple the amount of the original fines. And she says on top of that, there's often a collection agency involved who adds a significant amount on top of the fine. Like I said, many of these collection outfits are as crooked as a dog's hind leg. Uh, it's <laughs> they, they are a real piece of work. Anyway, she says that no one should have to go through that extreme... Uh, process to keep from being defrauded. Uh, An amnesty program would increase revenue. People are more likely to pay their bills if they actually believe they can pay it. The incentive being the reinstatement of their driving privileges uh, wouldn't apply to those with multiple DUI convictions, vehicular homicide, serious offenses in which the vehicle was used in the commission of a crime. Is there any chance of Colorado enacting a driver amnesty program, she asked me. 
Well, the California ticket amnesty program she was talking about, it was back in 2015. It gave Californians the ability to reinstate their license and pay those reduced fines. It was an 18-month amnesty period where you could sell your traffic tickets at a deep discount and you would immediately get a reinstatement of your of your license. Basically, what the proponents of the program say is that when you lose the ability to drive because of unpaid traffic fines, it can be a devastating snowball to thousands of dollars in penalties if you don't pay it on time. And it has caused many to either lose their jobs, be unable to tackle the day-to-day obligations of caring for their families, that their license is, is more of a, con- it's not a, is a convenience, it's a necessity. That if you don't have your driver's license, you can't make a living. You, you usually don't uh, live within walking distance of where you work. You might not live close enough to public transportation. Uh, and losing your driver's license is equivalent of losing the ability to feed and take care of your family. And they cite statistics saying traffic fines have been increasing, costing as much as, as $500 in California, has added various fees to support different projects. And if a person fails to show up for their court date, the court costs can jump on top of that and make it, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. And and it continues to multiply for failure to pay before you know it. You just can't pay off your ticket because there's so many other fees and penalties and other issues. And so you might as well just have to sell your car so you can pay all of that off, but then you don't have a car. So that's that's what they're they're talking about is is the real problem here. Um, and during that traffic infraction amnesty program, the state of California says there were about 250,000 driver's licenses that were reinstated, almost half of the total number of suspended licenses. And California collected $45 million in fines and fees that would have obviously not been collected otherwise and resolved 250 infractions and misdemeanor accounts. That total operating cost for the amnesty program in California, it cost them for some reason $13.5 million to implement this thing. So although the $45 million that was collected uh, was a lot of money and they had to take $13 million off the table there, so what? $32 $32 million or so they, they, they brought in, it still represents less than 2% of the $2.5 billion in fines and fees that are owned by Californians. So even though it helped a lot of people, there were a lot of people that, that didn't take advantage of the program and the state didn't collect as much as they probably, but they, they did get something. And Governor Newsom has actually proposed $300 million in their 2022 budget for traffic fine forgiveness. And then they would also give low-income Californians uh, any traffic ticket that they received during the pandemic. They would basically uh, uh, use that money to help pay for any of those traffic tickets that somebody received from June 30th or from uh, the start of the pandemic all the way through June 30th of 2021 and, and waive those fees altogether. So the, and that would be money that would be in their uh, in their general budget. I think their uh, budget is actually. They uh, they have a surplus, or they're expecting a surplus in California uh, coming up instead of having so many deficits. Um, but that's a lot of money coming from the federal government that's helping them out. Uh, there is a group called the Fines and Fees Justice Center, and they have a campaign called Free to Drive National Campaign to End Debt-Based License Restrictions. 
And this is what they say on their website. They say in 2019, over 100 ideologically diverse organizations launched Free to Drive, a coalition united by the belief that restrictions on driving privileges should be reserved for dangerous driving, not to coerce debt payment or to punish people who miss a court appearance. They say they estimate there are at least 11 million drivers licensed suspended for unpaid court debt across the nation. That seems like a very high number to me, but uh, I, they're the ones that are that are looking at that. Uh, if, if you want to look them up, you can at freetodrive.org. Um, but I, I get it. Fines are tough to pay, especially when you're low income. But but I would argue that most people who get a fine when they're driving are doing it to themselves, and and all of these issues are self inflicted. And if you eliminate the fines, then then what's to prevent any driver from driving badly? The fine is is really an incentive, the main incentive, more so than even the points on your license, to be a good driver. Because if you know that a speeding ticket of 10 miles an hour over is going to cost you $500, you're less likely to do it than if the fine is never imposed, uh, waived, not enforced, or if it was $5, right? Something that anybody can, and you can't really have a progressive fine system where you you prove that you are low income and there you have a a fine of $5 while somebody else has a a a fine of $500. Um, Actually, what was it? There was a a country in Europe, I think one of the Scandinavian countries that was, maybe it was Finland, that was doing just that. I, I think it was based, maybe it was England. They were, or no, uh, anyway, they were, they were basing, uh, traffic offenses or speeding, uh, fines based on your income, a certain percentage of your income. So if you made more, you paid more. If you made less, you paid less. But the, the fine is really the incentive to be a good driver and increased fines are, are way more of a deterrent than lower or no fines, especially for very, very bad driving. It's, it's easy not to speed. It's not fun, but it's easily accomplished. It's easy not to run a red light. Again, not as fun, but easily accomplished. If you're driving a car that's in poor working condition, let's say you're, you're, you have a headlight out or you have some other issue, a brake light out or some other issue that you either you know about when you, when you get in the car, you know about it when you get in the car. Sometimes you might have a light go out when you're driving. That's happened to me. I was driving up in one small mountain town years and years ago, the headlight went out and cop whipped around the main street there, pulled me over, stuck his head pretty much into the car to see if we'd been drinking. We had not. Uh, and told me to go get the headlight fixed when I get back to Denver. And that's exactly what I did. So it, it, you, you pretty much know when, if you have something wrong in, in your car th- that you're driving, right? And I think most officers are, are pretty forgiving and will give you a warning if there's something wrong with your car. But if you're speeding or driving recklessly or whatever, then you know what you're doing and you can prevent it because you are the one behind the wheel. You are the driver and you are responsible for operating the vehicle. But then you might say, hey, low-income people don't have the money to fix their car. Well, I, I, I can't speak to all situations, but unfortunately, that is the price of driving on the public roads. 
I have empathy, I really do, for the people in those situations. I've been low income too. I've been in those situations where $100 was a really big deal. But but if you're speeding, if you're m- not using your turn signal, if if you're driving recklessly, whatever you're doing, uh, that you're bringing that on yourself. You don't have to speed. You can drive the speed limit. Now, the state legislature here in Colorado just passed a bill this year that would actually prohibit the state from denying to issue, renew, or reinstate a person's driver's license because the person failed to pay a monetary judgment or has any outstanding warrant relating to a traffic violation or municipal violation. Now, it's not amnesty, but it will change the law for future violators. And the way it reads, it almost sounds like if somebody already had some uh, fines or, or tickets or already has these outstanding judgments, they will be able to get their license reinstated or renewed. They would still have that debt out there. And there's no uh, provision in this, at least the one here in Colorado, that the state wouldn't sell the debt to a collection agency. And then the collection agency goes after you for the, uh, for the money. Um, look, it's... It's a tricky situation there because imagine this. If I say, all right, this is now a new law and I I refuse, I I get a speeding ticket and it's a $500 fine because I was going 25 miles an hour over and I just refuse to pay and then I don't go to court. So I have, let's say, $1,000 in judgment against me for the fine and the court costs and all that stuff and I just refuse to pay it. And then I can still, because the the new state law, it prohibits the state from denying uh, them from renewing or reinstating my driver's license. So I can get my driver's license so I can still have it, have my driver's license and have that $1,000 ticket slash court debt hanging out there, right? Well, what's to stop me from uh, letting these fines accumulate forever? I mean, why, why can't I just keep accumulating fines on and on and on again and have fines of 10 or 15 or $20,000 because they're not going to suspend my license. I can get my license. I can get it reinstated apparently. So, uh, why, why not? Why even try even to pay a fine? What's the point? I mean, it could accumulate forever. It sounds like a plan to me. Time (laughs) better watch out because I'm going to hit the road. That's, that's the, and I've and I've I've advocated here on this program that the way to stop or change behavior is to increase the fines for certain behaviors. If you want people to stop driving drunk, make the fine fifty thousand dollars. You will have fewer drunk drivers. If you make the penalties ridiculous, you will have less of it. Whatever you tax, you get less of. Whatever you incentivize, you get more of. If you're incentivizing people by not letting them uh, pay the fines and just letting it stack up, then you're incentivizing them to keep doing bad behaviors on the road and keep getting tickets and keep ignoring the fines and the court costs. And it's going to be bad for your roads. And that, uh, I guess we'll see what happens, but this is, uh, that <laughs> I thought it was an interesting, uh, topic that that, uh, person, that viewer, uh, sent me. And so I sent her back all the information that I pretty much told you about California and about the new state law here in Colorado. And I told her to 
contact if you want really amnesty. I said you could probably go get your license reinstated, but if you want amnesty, the best place to start is probably with your local uh, representative and just keep it sweet, keep it to the point. Say you'd like amnesty, uh, that you want your license renewed and you want to, to be able to pay these fines, but it's been hard for you to, to pay them because uh, it's affecting you trying to get to work and trying to take care of your family and uh, see where that goes. And so she said, okay. And uh, uh, anyway, I am working on some uh, guests for next time. <laughs> I didn't have any time this uh, this week because we were on the road there in Florida. So uh, no trips scheduled for quite some time as I am totally out of money. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. Baton twirling, you would think it wouldn't cost a lot of money. It's the travel that and the coaching that costs all the money. All right, so if you want to contact me, please go ahead. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can always send me an email at my work address. It's all call the comments or all the uh, 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 information is right there in the description of the show, including the phone number 303-832-0217 if you want to contact me there. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being here. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.